Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book 2 Free Will and Other Compulsions A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Renee Wilson, Stephen H. Wilson, Derek Moore, Stephanie Sawyer, Andrea Fender, Kitty McKeon. With original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, episode six. Hello, this is your host, J. Daniel Sawyer. We're back after the holiday hiatus, and this is the story so far. Setting out from a small colony in the Southern Hemisphere, a little girl runs across the surface of the moon to win her freedom. Between planets, Jim Hartman has nothing but time on his hand. Not a good thing for a PI whose wife went missing with the solar system's most notorious criminal. Meanwhile, Jade Oren, sister to Cassie Orenthal and lover to Douglas Rees, found her life in tatters when Cassie unmasked her treachery to both. Left at loose ends with the tide of revolution rising around her, we last saw her stumbling upon the massive protest in the Luna City Gallery Bazaar. And now, Episode 6 of Free Will and Other Compulsions. Chapter 21, Luna City, 19 November, 2129. There was no embargo, not yet. Not officially, but supplies kept running thin since the latest round of bombings. Jade had lived all of her 25 years on Luna and never seen a real shortage. There had been many times, when she was younger, where she couldn't get her hands on what she wanted, but the supplies themselves had always been there, for the right price. Not now. The last two times she'd been to buy paper and pencils, the price had gone up. Today, there hadn't even been any in stock, and none expected in for the foreseeable future. The quiet at home and in her message box was matched by the noise out in the public areas. It had taken her a few days to sink back up to the rhythm of the city, but now she was in the thick of it again for the first time in a couple years. The skin on her work table's graceful submission to the airbrush belied the desperation of the move. She'd spent the last few days, in the spare hours she wasn't working, doing body painting for a booth in the gallery bazaar. Anything to keep herself plugged into the breathing, heaving defiance coursing through the corridors. Things were changing. It wasn't just the price of pencils or shortages of minor supplies. It was the directives flowing across her desk at Loxcore. Purchase orders for land plots outside the existing development areas, stock transfers into earthbound accounts, company resource shuffling that didn't seem to make any sense. As if Luna herself were hunkering down and bracing for the first major volley. And it would come. Jade had known it would come since she was old enough to remember anything. The sense of rumors that clung to the passageway walls, the growing, itching discontent at the meddlesome groundhogs and their half-assed notion of administration, their usurious taxes, their shitty notions of security and safety. It had only been a matter of time. Judging by the mood of the crowd, that time had come. 
Jade switched out her color pot from taupe to red. When she was done with this one, the customer would look like a walking triage victim. A political statement, and an inelegant one, but that was fine. Goddess below or god above, neither of them felt the pounding of the colony anymore. But Jade did. And nothing would pull her away from it again. Chapter 22, 19 November, 2129. Orange, pale, dark, like tarnish and secrets settling on copper. The dust storm outside the dome choked everything beyond the glass, but inside, the smoke was all. The sharp, slow, sumptuous smell of cardamom, cumin, and cloves settled over everything. It worked its way into his skin, into hair, into breath. It breathed visions. It was life. William? In the distance, he heard her voice. Marjorie, the spice angel who'd saved him when the world was dying. Yes, Marjorie? The leader stood on a platform at the peak of the dome, 150 meters above the planet's surface, his face turned upward, looking through the atmosphere into space. Is there any word? She followed his gaze. They haven't found it yet. I meant word of him. Our wayward sheep. Do not worry. He will come back in good time. He will come back. When he knows. Marjorie nodded, her white, light robe flapping about her improbably, as if there were a wind in the dome. Then I will wait. They stood together for a moment on the high gantry, like characters in an unfinished painting. William Ellison looked up to the heavens as if awaiting a message from his strange idols. There were voices on the impossible wind. Voices Jim couldn't recognize, whispering words he'd never heard before. You hear them? He asked her. Yes. She shivered. What does it mean? It is the message for our lost lamb. What do they say? The hand of God is coming. Without understanding how he did it, Jim's body caught on the wind and retreated from the figures under the sky, passing seamlessly through the dome as if it were nothing more than a clever illusion, out into the airless dust where he couldn't seem to breathe at all. Jim woke up clawing at the air. His lungs still worked, and the oxygen rushed in to fill the void as they expanded so wide they burned. He caught a coughing fit from the dry air and rolled over on his side, doubling over on himself like a colicky infant. Yes, he was still alive, still breathing, heart pumping at a good clip too, for whatever little good it would do him in the state he was in. His guts felt like they had been pummeled by a pile driver. Every time he moved them, they torqued again. Another few minutes, and he should be able to climb down from his bunk and kill time until the ship grounded. 
The fact that he was awake and could turn over with only normal effort meant that Curie had ended its high acceleration run, and they were probably on final approach to lunar orbit now. The hand of God is coming. Well, it had to do something when it finished jerking the rest of him off. Jim regretted thinking it as soon as it crossed his mind. Such a thing wouldn't normally occur to him, but now he supposed he was blaspheming for two. Allie wasn't here, and he had to remember what she was like somehow. In the long run, God wouldn't mind anyhow. Our lost lamb? The children of light, visiting him again. The brain did crazy things when it could run wild on its own, and guilt had its own vocabulary. All hands, this is the captain. Cassie's voice, terse and tinny as ever, scratched at his eardrums. We're being diverted into a holding pattern over the ring. Final braking maneuvers in three hours, Luna Fall in 18. Get some food and meds before we lose gravity. Luna. Closer to home than he'd been in almost two years, and he'd never felt farther from it. Without Allie, it wasn't really a home. Like a pagan after an unholy rapture, he couldn't do a damn thing about being left behind. Then again, maybe he didn't have to do anything. Allie was crazy enough, and good enough, to bring Briggs in on her own if Jim didn't find them first. But he would find them. Somewhere in the solar system there was a tracking record that showed where Fugitive had gone, and finding records was one of the two edges on the private investigator's professional shiv. Jim hadn't met a system yet that he couldn't crack, or find someone to crack, given enough time and money. At the moment, he had more than he needed of both. First, though, he had to hold up his end of the bargain. Reeves thought he had a mole problem, and it started with Scott Walters. Jim didn't have access to Cassie's personnel records yet, but when he did get access, the files would probably be bodlerized anyway. The Green Lady had her own agenda. There were other ways to get information. Nobody was so careful they left no trace. Not even Briggs. It was only a matter of time before he found it. Until then, he had at least one thing to go on. Walters was a mole, and someone prepped him, trained him, or turned him. That was an investment, so something about Walters himself suggested he'd be a good asset. Something beyond his position on the docks. If he could find that thing... Jim might just have his hands on the end of the right thread to tug on. Chapter 23 Lunar Surface 1 December 2129 There were lights on the lunar horizon. Her helmet's rangefinders put them at 200 meters above the plane floor, but she was almost beyond caring. The twelve-year-old limbs wobbled beneath her with every step like they were made of silicon putty. Two hundred and sixty-four hours she'd been out here. Every time she blinked, the landscape changed, like she was falling asleep between every step. There were two amphetamine tabs left. She was out of salt and vitamins, and she was drinking water faster than her suit could recycle it. Her bladder ached, but didn't want to let go of anything. Her lungs hurt from the stale air, the last of it finally starting to go bad after nearly an entire night on her feet. The deep dust added extra drag to every step. Three more hours, maybe, at her current pace, and she'd get to the antenna. If she was lucky, they were on the crest of Tranquility Basin. 
The GPS said she was close, but she couldn't quite do the angles and math anymore to match the scale meter to the display. If she could make it to the antenna, maybe she'd know how far she had to go. If she could just stay awake a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. It was so quiet. The whole universe was gray and dust and pain pulling her down. It wouldn't be so bad just to sleep a little bit, maybe. deafening noise started her awake again, a whole galaxy full of it. She rolled around on the ground, grabbing at her head, trying to cover her ears, but the stupid helmet kept getting in the way. Helmet. She was still in her suit. She had to get it off. She scrambled for the buttons and clasps and couldn't remember where the release was. She had to stop the blaring voices in her helmet. She struggled to her knees and jutted her chin out and hit the mute switch. The noise stopped. Now she could get her helmet off if she could just remember where the button was. Her eyes flittered open. The dust stretched out before her to a low line of hills maybe two clicks away, with the antennae sitting on top of them. The timer read 2.65. Another hour gone. Her rebreather bars were in the yellow. Only a few hours of air left if she was lucky. I wouldn't have to worry about it if I could get this stupid helmet off. The clasp is... Her fingers found it and fumbled for a few seconds. Even through the thin skin press fabric, it was almost impossible to get her fingers around. Wait. She froze just as her fingers wrapped around it. The noise was gone. The dirt in front of her was the brown gray of earliest morning. She was outside. Her heart thumped in triple time as she slowly backed her fingers out from around the throat clasp. For the first time, she wondered if she was the biggest fool in the world. Every muscle in her body hurt so bad she had to work to focus her eyes. Her throat was parched, the paltry dribble from her suit still wasn't enough, and she was hungry. God, so hungry. She'd eat anything now, even green beans, even sprouts. She'd do anything just to remember what it felt like to have a mouthful of food, just a nibble of orange, or even a whiff of garlic-fried goat. She wondered what sheets felt like. She couldn't remember, and now she'd probably never feel them again. She was going to die, here, just within sight of what had to be Tranquility Basin. Luna City was just over the rise. They said nobody escaped. Nobody ever had. The girls belonged to their fathers, and then to their husbands. It was God's way, the highest way. God would keep anyone from escaping. Maybe they were right. Maybe God was getting back at her for running away. Kneeling under the thin light of the lunar morning, the girl who tried to do the impossible wept as best she could, even though there weren't any tears coming. Not enough moisture. With every sob, her intestines torqued a little more on the empty air. Her brain hurt. Every thought she tried to think felt like it was caught in an unending fog. God thought he was going to take her mind before he killed her. God could go to hell. You don't win that easy. 
She gritted her teeth and heaved herself up off her haunches onto her knees again. She stretched her left leg out and pushed with all her strength. One down, one to go. She bore down on her left leg and pushed herself up to a wobbly stand, then stumbled forward a couple steps. One meter less, only a couple thousand more. After a couple more steps, she had to stop again to keep herself from falling over. The pack on her back was screwing up her balance, but it was also her only air. She couldn't ditch it. She needed a way to stay on her feet, something to keep her steady on her march. March. Armies used to have songs to march to. They learned one in school from a war so long ago she wasn't even sure it had a name. In a halting, thin voice, she set her tempo. When Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, hurrah. I'll give him a hearty welcome then, hurrah, hurrah. The men will cheer, the boys will shout, and the ladies, they will all turn out and we'll all feel gay when Johnny comes marching home. The meters were easier with the beat, and her mind had something to do. In two hours, when all that was left of her was the will to mumble the tune, she reached the antenna. She didn't stop. She barely noticed it was there. She almost didn't have the strength to raise her helmet and look until she stumbled over the ridge onto the smooth scree leading down the hillside into another jumble. The ground kept trying to pull her off her feet, but she could see lights now, down in one of the craters in the basin. Luna City. It had to be. But she wasn't hearing them. There should be someone on the radio. Someone she could call for help. Someone... She had to turn it on. That was it. It had to be on to work. The last time she'd heard anything, she'd nearly gone deaf. She squeezed her eyes shut tight and tried to remember where the volume was. It should be first to the left of the radio switch. Reaching forward with her mouth, she stuck her tongue out and found the little wheel, then scrolled it down to zero, then back up a couple notches. Then, she punched the toggle with her chin again. The radio clicked and buzzed a few times as it hunted for an active frequency. Then she heard it. Traffic control, you are cleared to land cargo pad B. Stand by for cargo control automatic pad. Roger control. Then silence. It was quiet. She could say something. Help. Her voice was barely a whisper. Help me. I'm stuck. I'm lost. She pushed as much of the burning air out as she could. I'm lost. Help. Help. She shouted as loud as she could, but even in her helmet, she sounded smaller than a pebble. The girl fumbled and fell. She fell forever, tumbling down the grade until she crushed to rest on a rock on the hillside beneath the tower. In her helmet, her head smashed against the power switch. The radio went dead. Laying on her side, she could see smaller lights descending into the crater. A ship, maybe, coming down from the ring to dock. 
She was so close, but she couldn't even lift her arms anymore. God thought he'd won. Turning the radio back on gave her human voices again, but it didn't matter. She couldn't talk anymore, much as she tried. He thought he'd finally caught her. There was nothing she could do but lay here and die. Soon she'd have to stand in front of him and explain herself. Or maybe not. You were supposed to pray when you died. Leave your last burdens here before moving on to the celestial realms. But she was the girl that almost made it, got closer than anyone else ever had. It didn't matter that she didn't get there. She hadn't lost. Alone on the barren surface, beneath the streaking lights of the space traffic, the girl closed her eyes and prepared herself for death. She could just manage a single prayer before she fell asleep again. Dear God, you lost. Fuck you. And then, secure in her victory, the little girl drifted into a dreamless sleep, happy to at least be done with the last prayer she'd ever make. You've been listening to Episode 6 of Free Will and Other Compulsions, Book 2 of the Antithesis Progression, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. This episode starred Renee Wilson as Marjorie, Stephen H. Wilson as William Ellison, Derek Moore as Jim Hartman, Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, Andrea Fender as The Moon Girl, and Kitty Nakian as Ground Control. Some sounds courtesy of the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright Kitty Nikian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This podcast is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2011, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2014, Artistic Whispers Productions. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the author.